welcome to another fun, fun episode of Here's a Guy. And what a special episode we have for you all this week. Um, have a bit of a different lineup this week. That's right. It's always exciting when we do that. Um, and extra exciting this week for reasons I'll get to in a minute. Um, but first of all, I am joined, uh, well, I'm Alex coming to you from St. Louis and I'm joined, uh, first of all, by my older brother, Cody from Illinois. Cody, how are you? What have you been up to this week? Oh, uh, I've had a lot of fun this week. I, I had another, another interesting experience at a, at a business here in town that we'll talk about in a little bit. But, um, first of all, last night, uh, went to go see one of my favorite bands of all time, Motion City Soundtrack, down in uh, your neck of the woods in St. Louis at the pageant. And that's why this is a day late, because um, I was not available to record yesterday, and Jack John was not available to record any day but yesterday, so he kind of lost the toss there. Uh, was everything all right? <laughs> Will you tell me that you're all right? Did you get fucked up and die? Everything was all right. Uh, I did not get fucked up or die because I was the one driving. So did, did their words destroy your planet? You know what? That's an interesting reference. Actually, they, uh, I, I was surprised they played that one. Um, so what it was, was it's the 10, I think it's 10 years now, 10 year anniversary of, uh, or actually it's probably longer than that of, uh, they're doing an anniversary tour of their album, commit this to memory, which is a great record. Uh, they played that all the way through, and then they did a second set of older stuff. And they did, I think that's the only song from that album they played, but hmm. uh, they did in fact play that one. It's one of my favorites, so I was real jazzed about that. Fantastic show. Um, saw one of the, probably one of the most adorable things I've seen at any concert ever. Was it Was it what you tweeted about last night? No, 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 no. <laughs> that, we can talk that was about funny. that a little oh, yeah. bit, too, if we that want. That was hilarious. <laughs> oh, my God. It got funnier still. I forgot to keep updating the Twitter thread. So, um, anyway, about three songs into the set, uh, Justin Pierre, their lead singer, uh, he apparently had his phone connected to the PA for some reason. I don't know if there was uh, some kind of sound they were running from that. It was connected like via Bluetooth, I guess. But about three or four songs in, you start hearing over the PA somebody's phone ringing. And, of course, the band thought this was hilarious. They're all laughing. And Justin pulls out his phone and looks to see who it is. And it's he's got, like, a five- or six-year-old daughter. Um, and she was calling him. So he actually, like, answered the call and like, let her talk to the audience for a minute. She was talking about, like, the soccer game she played that day. Everyone just... It was really cool. Everyone just kind of ate it up. It was that uh, is yeah. That I, I'd is never adorable. seen anything like that before. I'd never seen anything like that before. But uh, yeah, that was that was fantastic. Especially because the audience at a Motion City soundtrack show is all going to be like our age, right? For the most <laughs> part, there were some young. There were some younger folks there. There were some older folks there. There were like married couples with like eight or nine year old kids that were there. Hmm. Dude, so you got to think about how old we are. You gotta yeah. think about how old we are, man. Eight or nine years old, it's not out of the realm of possibility here. No, it's not. <laughs> it's just very jarring to see. And, you know, some of them were definitely, you know, there were people at least 10, 15 years older than me there. So That's I, I at least wasn't feeling it worse than anyone else. That's that's how yeah, I it was felt. A great time. That's how I felt when I saw Coheed uh, a couple of months ago. Mm -hmm. It was a ton of fun, but I realized, like, looking around, like, 
I was the average age of the audience. Yeah. Co- and that yeah. made me feel Sounds sad. <laughs> Coheed is a very people around our age band, very much so. Um, uh-huh. So as for the other thing you saw, Cody, we'll, we'll come back to that in a minute because I want to introduce uh, the other voice you've been hearing. Uh, I assume a lot of you already know who this is. You've heard him on the show technically multiple times, uh, as well as, uh, of course, our appearances um, on the Belchcast, the various Twitch um, you know, uh, uh, things that we've done, one of which is going now, our D&D campaign, Here's an Adventure. That's right, folks. It's our great D&D and even greater friend, Pukasaurus Rex. Welcome back to the podcast. Hopefully we don't have any disasters this time, <laughs> and the episode will actually be able to be released. Yeah, so say that redemption would be good. Arc, or redemption arc for me as much as anybody else. Uh, so well, how, how have you been? What have you been up to this week? Uh, I've been good. Thanks for having me back on. I was really excited uh, with how quickly the turnaround for me to try and make up for last time was. Because uh, the secret is, it's not that the audio file got missed. It's just that I did such a shit job that Alex was embarrassed to release the episode. <laughs> now, Pookie. I would say some pretty good evidence against that is uh, every other episode we've ever released. So, <laughs> I was going to say... I, we, I, released, we... I released Jack John's Disco Demolition Night episode. There's nothing I won't release. Well, well, I was going to say, we put out a show with Jack John every week. You really think you bombed that much worse? Well, that's fair. That's fair, I suppose. And, uh, but yeah, I've been good. I've been good, man. Um, and uh, Jack John, as, as previously referenced, is only not here because we're recording this on an unusual night. He had a... a Per Twitch commitments, and uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and give him his plug. Uh, check out his Twitch if you haven't before. Twitch.tv slash JackJohnJose um, does a ton of cool shit over there. Um, Jack John plays games. What did I Jack say? John Jose is his Twitter handle. Yeah. <laughs> so Twitter.com slash JackJohnJose or Twitch.tv slash JackJohnPlaysGames. Either one works. Yeah. Um, yeah, I... I Great to have you back on. We did have a good time last time. Um, unfortunately, the episode was lost to the sands of time. Um, and I will say, uh, I, I've actually... Yesterday, I was catching up on uh, Belchcast, the recent Belchcast that I had not listened to. Um, and you... you, I, I, I wanted to mention this. On uh, one of them, you mentioned that uh, um, Cody and I saying really nice things about your DM work um, meant a lot to you and, and helped make you feel a lot better recently. And I'll add, I was having a terrible day yesterday, and so hearing that in turn made me feel a lot better. Oh, isn't that well, nice? That's good. Isn't it nice when yeah. friends do nice stuff for each other? That's what we're yeah. all about here, folks. Especially since <laughs> between between the four of us, we spend most of our time just being kind of mean to each other. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the dynamic. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I think that's the dynamic for every friend group I have ever seen of people oh, who yeah. grew up at the time we at the time we did. Yeah, and oh, I don't yeah. know that's... why that is exactly. That is just how we relate to each other through snark. Um. So yeah, in the meantime, I've, we've been doing some cool D and D stuff. Twitch.tv slash Here's an Adventure. I've done two sessions so far. It's been a blast. Um, what else have you been working on? Uh, I've been working on a couple of other projects. Um, Jack and I have been working on uh, expanding some some stuff for Here's an Adventure. Um, 
just because we all have real lives, we can't just play D&D twice a week as much as at least I would like to. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> um, I, I, if you're asking me whether I would like to play more D&D with you guys or go to work, the answer is always going to be play more D&D with you right, guys. Right. Right. Um, but I, uh, I kickstarted a, a tabletop game uh, probably about a year and a half, two years ago now. Um, I got my physical copies a few months ago. I'm finally sitting down and reading the rule books to learn how to run it. Um, I started last night, spent a good chunk of today, because I have the day off today, uh, reading tabletop rule books, which to some people sounds awful, I'm sure. Uh, but I love it. <laughs> um, but it's a, it's a game called Shiver, and uh, it is Ooh, a... I love the sound of yeah, that. So it's a horror tabletop game but very specifically like 80s horror themed tabletop game so a lot of the like yeah i I told you i told you you would be interested (laughs) uh a lot of the like character classics or character classes are like horror movie archetypes um you can be a warrior who has like a jock subclass and you can be like the um the stoner or the cheerleader <laughs> there's literally a final girl subclass oh, wow. like i was gonna say i would always choose to play as the final girl because by definition that is the one that gets killed by <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's super cool there's some co- super cool mechanics in it um one that i'm super excited about is called the doom clock where certain events that take place during the story tick the doom clock forward and every 15 minutes on the doom clock uh, makes a a bad thing happen in the story. Um, It's very much set up to be like playing out an 80s slasher flick. It's awesome. I'm super excited to run it. Oh, hell yeah. Right on. Yeah. So keep on the lookout for that, everybody. Um, Cody, let's, let's go back to you because there was something else you saw at the motion city show you were tweeting about, and I, I wanted to get the full story. Of what was, what exactly so, happened here? So, um, for those of you who do not follow me on Twitter, first of all, follow me on Twitter. Uh, I am at Son of Gravy four twenty sixty nine, uh, and the reason you should do that is because sometimes I just tweet about the random ridiculous shit that I see. So to set this up, first of all, I should probably tell you that. I was not, there were two opening acts, one was a comedian and one was a band, and for the first two, um, for those two, I was not down in, like, the pit area, because of the way the the pageant is is set up, there's a smaller pit area down on the floor, and then there's seating and the bar up above, so I was just sitting at one of those tables, my friend that I was there with is uh, a tiny, tiny person, so what she always does at every show is immediately she gets like up to the very front and just posts up there so she can actually see what's going on. So she was down there and I was like, I will come down to the pit, hopefully, um, once Motion City starts. And I do this and it starts kind of crowding up. So I'm she's up front. I'm at the very back of the pit, not by myself, but, you know, without anybody else I knew, just kind of jammed in with a bunch of randos. And... Immediately to my right, when I do this, is what appears to be a young lesbian couple on what seemed to be their first date. Or I 
maybe I shouldn't say lesbian necessarily. It was a girl-girl couple that seemed to be there on like a first or very, maybe second date. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know this because like the one of them kept asking all the all the classic, you know, get to know you questions. Yeah. You know, where are you, you know, about her family, you know, what her job was like, stuff like that. But the problem was the other one was already just absolutely hammered. Oh, like, no. That, that was the main problem. That was like, I, I tweeted, like, this is a first day and it does not seem to be going well. And the main problem was that, like, this one is trying to actually, you know, do the whole date thing. And the other one is just, I don't know if it's the first concert for her or what, but she was just getting kind of caught up in all the excitement and she was just absolutely lit. Um, you know, she was like cheering real loud for everything, whether it made any sense to do so or not. Just, just classic drunk, uh, drunk mid twenties, female behavior. Um, Listen, this is why I'm absolutely terrified for my partner, my partner to leave me because yeah. <laughs> there is no way I could try and date again. No. Yeah. It's, uh, it was uh very, I, I don't know. I, I was trying really hard to pretend like I wasn't paying attention to what was going on over there. And I don't know what kind of job I did, but uh, you know, nobody called me out or anything, but you know, th- this one is just drunk and obnoxious and loud, and the other one is, like, trying to actually, uh, appears to be actually trying to, you know, do the whole the whole dating thing. And I thought that this drunk girl was going to be saved by the bell, um, because eventually Motion City came on. And yeah. the way they did this is, I mentioned, they played this fir- full album, and then they took a quick set break. And then they came back and played a different set of, of other stuff. So I thought, okay, maybe this first set will give Drunky McDrunkerson over here a chance to to sober up a little and salvage this. So I'm like, I'm rooting for her at this point. I'm like, can can you turn this disaster around? I am very curious. So I didn't really think about it too much while that first set was going on. And then at the set break, or when the set starts she immediately goes even wilder drunk check. She like screams and, you know, she's just absolutely losing it the whole time. Um, so at the step break, and this is the part I forgot to update on Twitter, but apparently whatever attempt she may have made to turn the ship around, uh, did not work because after about two minutes of the set break, after trying to talk to her a little more, this, the, the sober one goes, well, uh, this was really fun. I'll uh, I'll talk to you again, and then she leaves. At the oh set God! Break. <laughs> oh I'm no! Like, Damn! Oh! Not only, like, not only did you abandon ship, but also, <laughs> how was this other chick getting home? Like, <laughs> but I couldn't like, I couldn't ask her like, do you have a safe way to get home? Because I didn't want to sit there. I didn't want to like let her know that I've been paying attention to this whole thing this entire time. So, yeah, uh, uh, the the drunk one seemed relatively unfazed um, because she was still completely trashed at this point. But, uh, yeah, the, the one just dipped at the set break and never saw her again. So, yeah, that was that was the uh, 
weird soap opera I had playing out immediately to my right while I was trying to watch one of my favorite bands. Uh, one would assume that the the drunk person is the one who bought the tickets because, listen, concert tickets are expensive. And yeah, even if sure. I'm, I'm with a shitty person, if it's a show I want to see, like, I'm going to stick it out for the whole show. Also... I mean, you're at a concert. There's an easy way to escape that. You could just ask someone to help you crowd surf, and then then you're still yeah. at the show. You're just away yeah. from the person. You're and then to get somebody away will drop them on your head, and everything uh-huh. will be fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. That well, that's really tough to hear. I mean, I'll say a, a concert <laughs> is a tough first date scenario. I I I feel like you gotta build a little bit of rapport with someone before, but maybe that's just my personal feeling on concerts. I, I don't know. I, I feel like there's something intimate about it. Um, so, you know, hopefully if, uh, if, if the sober woman in, in that, um, you know, in that scenario last night, uh, is listening to this, uh, we're very sorry. Keep your head up. Uh, <laughs> it, it happens. It's Let's tough be honest. It is, it is significantly more likely that it's the drunk girl who is a member of your audience. Well, in, that's in that, very true. In that case, glad you had a good time. <laughs> <laughs> Hope it was worth it. Um, yeah, no, actually, that is. Um, now that I think about it, I've heard quite a few stories uh, of you know that being a first date killer is somebody gets too drunk, and a lot of times, you know, it's because you're nervous and you're trying to settle yourself down. Maybe you're trying to impress somebody, but it never goes well. Uh, but yeah, I, I've heard quite a few of my friends tell me stories about dates they've been on that have been ruined by somebody overindulging a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a toughie. Yeah, um, when when my partner and I first started dating, we were both just animals, so <laughs> it it wasn't a problem. One this, of is us very too drunk. this is very true. This is very true. Actually, I'm fairly certain Cody... May have been there for part of our first date. I I honestly don't really remember. I mean, I know where it was, so there's a pretty good chance I was there. <laughs> yeah. It was at the bar we all hung out at. So. Well, it started at, it started at that bar because I was working, and I just we were dead, so I was just like, "Fuck it, I'll close early." And then we went to the other bar that we all hung out <laughs> with at. Uh huh. Yeah. So, you know. Um, Cody, you mentioned that there was something else weird you saw this week. What what, what was that? Oh, okay. Uh, I wasn't sure if we were going to do this now or later. Yeah, it was another uh, bizarre interaction at a place of business. It was actually at that same gas station that had the bananas. Oh, boy. It was not real... fruit-related this time, though. Huh. There was a guy that came in while I was in there, and he was, like, grabbing his stuff and got to the front of the line before me, but... He was using a contraption to move that I have never seen before. Um, he apparently had something wrong with one of his legs, and instead of using, like, a cane or crutches or something like that, what he had was basically a tricycle that he, like, rested one of his legs on. Yeah, the, uh, the, uh, yeah those little things, the, the scooters. 
Yeah. Yeah, but it it wasn't quite typically one of the. It looked homemade, whatever it was. No. Uh, oh, also, <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> I was about to say, what, what's weird about that? But it's a homebrew. Yeah, it's like it's a homebrew well, scooter. <laughs> and and not only not only was it a homebrew. Well, he he just was kind of resting one of his legs. The way he was moving was very unusual because he also had what appeared to be a walking stick that he was using to push himself along with. So like, I see. He looked so like was he, he was like... rowing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I seriously, he was across the uh, across into the the next aisle for me when I first noticed him scooting past and I first for a second thought he was doing that bit you do at parties where you like go down behind the couch and pretend you're rowing a boat or walking downstairs or something like that right right. and my brain immediately was like why are you doing that here (laughs) what is what is the point and then I looked and I'm like oh he's actually using that to move so I thought that was odd but of course I didn't want to say anything the lady working the register, though, was either much less concerned with politeness or much less good at concealing shock and surprise because she didn't say anything. But the look on her face the entire time he was up at the register was just pure confusion. And then he leaves and I get up to the register and I thought she was just going to comment on what a funny little contraption that was. But she looks at me and she looks at the guy leaving out the door and she goes, you know, he was walking fine when he came in here. What? Was she doing was a, like so she was doing a bit or <laughs> No, she was <laughs> apparently this guy cuz he got in there before me. Apparently this guy walked to the door with this contraption and started using it once he got inside. Huh. Was was it an older gentleman? No, I'd say he was maybe 10 years older than me. Okay, huh. well, I, I was going to say, like, because that sounds like some dumb shit I would have done in my 20s. Yeah. No, no, you know? th- and this this guy <laughs> was totally deadpan, so if this was a bit, he was selling it pretty well. But, yeah, I just, I, I had never seen anything like that before, and I, I wanted to get your opinions on, on the whole scenario, because it, it just seems every time something like this happens to me, they just keep getting weirder and weirder. And I'm wondering what the universe's end game is here. Uh, listen, it, it gives me really good D and D ideas, but <laughs> <laughs> what I, my takeaway is I'm now picturing, um, somebody who, who's had a knee injury, but, um, or, you know, lower leg injury of, of some sort, but instead of the usual scooter, it's like, it's like the old timey version. They're in like the Victorian era, and the the scooter has like one massive wheel and one little wheel. <laughs> See what I would have done if this were me and I had to move around like that is I would have leaned into it. I would have like attached a sail made of bed sheets and a Jolly Roger flag and <laughs> worn like a pirate hat the whole time. <laughs> Listen, I'm I'm gonna take it a little bit darker because you know that. In in modern medical America, there's no way his insurance covered an actual scooter. Right. Like, he just had to figure something out. That is the yeah. sad part, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of what I thought. But, I mean, that's that's still – it was an interesting route to go. But, uh, yeah, c- congratulations on, on beating the system for another day to that uh, <laughs> intrepid engineer there. Well, fascinating stuff is always um... – yeah, I don't know how these situations keep finding you, but we're, we're all certainly glad they do. 
<laughs> but speak for yourself. Although we can sit here and talk about the weird things that that Cody sees out in public all night long, and we probably could. That's not what we're here for, folks. As always, we're here to talk about some guys. With no Jack John here, um, Puke, I asked you to do this a few weeks ago, and the world never got to hear it. So uh, uh, we'll consider this take two. Do you want to help me out here? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I'm pretty sure I know how it goes. It's uh, <clears throat> the guys. Lovely. Beautiful. Lovely. Thank you. Okay, so I am up first this week. <clears throat> and um, so we, we've talked a little bit on this show about our, our kind of relationship with true crime podcast media, which is <laughs> to say that we are very much not a true crime podcast. Um, but like, you know, you're, you can get that fix if that's what you want. There's a million true crime podcasts out there these days. And, um, frankly, it's pretty hard to find a, a prolific serial criminal who hasn't been discussed by somebody somewhere. But today I present to you all a lawbreaker who's managed to fly under the radar, a sicko who continually committed his deviant crimes over the span of a decade. All of which occurred in public, right out in the open. And most terrifying of all, this perpetrator has never been caught or even identified. You may all be wondering, how is this possible? Let's find out, shall we? The story takes place in Norway. A beautiful and typically peaceful country that, if you recall uh, episode 5, uh, has a bit of a dark side. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I think uh, we've got some evidence against it being a typically peaceful country, at, at least in certain cultures. Yeah, I mean, subcultures are cool. Uh, some of them eat people and burn down churches. But... <laughs> mm -hmm. Who are we to judge? The year is 2005. The location, idyllic Stavanger Golf Club, located just outside of a town whose name I cannot possibly pronounce. By the way, would you, would you would you two like to know how golf club is spelled in Norwegian? I would love to. G o l f k l u b b. God bless the Scandinavians, but they are beyond parody. I love that I was right. Yeah, like with a K and an extra B, it's perfect. <laughs> that uh, sounds like that sounds like an obscure uh, Ninja Turtles villain. Like, could you could you spell the name of the town, Alex? I want to give I want to give it a shot. Um, let me let me look it up real quick. Um, and okay. while I, while I do that, I'll I'll give my golf club spell that way. Sounds like a, a an obscure parody metal band. Um, <laughs> I mean, what's the uh, what's the 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 metalcore uh, Ned Flanders parody band? Oh, Oakley Doakley. Oakley Doakley. And what's yeah. um? I, I was also thinking of Max Sabbath, the one where it's Black Sabbath, <laughs> but it's all the McDonald's characters. Yep. Um, this the... somebody actually did a Seinfeld-based grindcore band a couple years ago, but I can't <laughs> fucking remember. I can't remember. It was called Grindfeld. That's what well, it was. Oh my god, there are like there are like two good grindcore bands. Well, speaking there of... were two good grindcore bands. Ooh. There are none that still exist. Well, speaking of grindcore, one I remember was um, it was was Puig Destroyer, where they were like Pig Destroyer, but they were all about baseball. So <laughs> <laughs> that's a oh. hell of a commitment to that name for a player who was in the league for like five years. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay, Pookie. Here is how this town is spelled. Um. H 
A F R S F J O R D. Arfsjord. There it is. That could be it. Sorry. Uh, no, sorry. Hafsfjord. So yeah, Stavanger Golf Club and lovely whatever that town name is. Um, <clears throat> Stavanger, by the way, is one of the premier golf clubs in all of Norway. Um, I found one publication that ranked it at sixth in the country. But for years now, Stavanger has been haunted by a seemingly unstoppable fiend. In the holiday season of 2005, Stavanger is preparing itself for its annual tournament. <clears throat> the groundskeepers are preparing the course, getting the holes all neat and tidy, and nothing seemed to miss at first. But then, groundskeeper Kenneth Tenfjord makes a shocking discovery. In one of the holes, and I'm, I'm going to give a trigger warning because this is about to get very disturbing. In one of the holes, what does Kenneth find but a massive human turd? I knew that's where this was going. <laughs> I knew you were going to say somebody shit in the hole. <laughs> and such begins the saga of one of the most prolific serial criminals of our time. The infamous golf hole pooper of Norway. I... Listen... <laughs> We had we had a little bit of a conversation before we started, um, and and when Alex had mentioned this as his topic, he said serial criminal, and my brain filled in serial killer, and I was like, they're usually really good about doing like really different, like they don't really cross genres super often unless it's baseball which you mm -hmm. know understandable. It's like they already did a Norwegian like psycho, like why are mm -hmm. they doing? A Norwegian serial killer, because my brain had filled in criminal <laughs> with killer. So, <laughs> a, a fiend. Not a, quite. No, this is a, a fiend killer in, of a good afternoon, maybe, yeah. but not, not a, a killer of people. A killer of this poor groundskeeper, Kenneth Tenfjord's morning. Yes. Oh my God! Please tell me he developed a relationship with this guy, not unlike uh, Bill Murray and Caddyshack had with the Gopher. You know, that's that's not out of the question. I don't know for sure. <laughs> But he had to find a coping mechanism somehow for for the how prolific as for how prolific it was. We will get into it. Um, so Mister Tenfjord found the uh, hard, enormous log hanging out of the golf the golf hole. Beyond that, no evidence left behind except the tracks of a bicycle leading up to and away from the scene of the crime. The course had no surveillance cameras, and Kenneth found no witnesses, with the turd presumably having been laid outside course hours. As disturbing as this was, Stavanger management was comforted by their assumption that this must surely be an isolated incident. Oh, how wrong they were. On another morning soon after that, groundskeepers were once again horrified to find yet another gigantic dry log hanging out of a hole on the course. A second fecal... Same hole? A, a Same hole or different hole? A pr presumably a different hole. But a second fecal crime had been committed. Much to their chagrin... It did not stop there either. Morning after morning, turd after turd was found in the holes of Stavanger Golf Course, eventually reaching the point where it was a multi-time-a-week occurrence. Each incident was identical to the last. One large, solid log, no other evidence except the bicycle tracks. And it should be noted... Sounds like, go ahead. Sounds like whoever did this had a decent diet, at least. Yeah, I was going to say, at least dude's regular. Uh, I've never been... been more bummed to say this, but table that thought. Oh, God. 
Um, it should also be noted, uh, no other golf courses in the area had any similar incidents. It was just Stavanger. <laughs> um, also, it was just a few of the holes at Stavanger. Uh, most of the 18 holes on the course remained devoid of stool throughout the entirety of this. He had his favorites. So over time, there were enough such incidents that club employees developed their profile of the perpetrator. According to Tenfeard, 1. The pooper only strikes on weekdays. 2. They ride a bicycle as their primary mode of transportation. 3. The turds were all quite hard at first, but over time they became softer, implying either A, the pooper changed their diet, likely incorporating more fiber during the, the course of their crime spree, or B, that they became so consumed by hate that they started taking laxatives in order to make the task of cleanup even more unpleasant for the poor groundskeepers. Oh no. An absolute <laughs> monster. I, I'm developing a theory here that, well, this person, this person, um, after, after, uh, the reason he had favorite holes is after using each hole each morning, he used one of the ball washers as a bidet. <laughs> well, I should add, I, I forgot to work this into my, into my outline here, but, uh, I did find notes that, um, he did clean himself up and yes, he, he did, uh, he did leave the toilet paper behind as well. <laughs> just well, a, sure. Just a total dick. I, uh... I'm imagining these groundskeepers are uh, are like Charlie from that episode of Always Sunny, the Pepe La Silvia episode. Oh yeah, <laughs> where they're just like freaking out in like the mailroom of, of the golf club, like poster board all over, red strings connecting newspaper articles to to printed out pictures and like just absolute psychos at this point because they keep and getting pooped on. And at the very end, uh, Frank confesses that he did all the poops. Well, yeah, I was going to say, it also, it also reminds me of uh, um, another all-time classic It's Always Sunny episode. Actually, the first episode of It's Always Sunny I ever saw was Who Pooped the Bed. You two aren't going to go out with me because these idiots found two poopies in the bed? Because <laughs> <laughs> poop is funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, four. And I'll say, I find this one a bit questionable, and I'll say why here in a second. Uh, Tenfear decided that the perpetrator must be a man, because the shit piles were simply too massive to have been left by a woman. I take umbrage at this assertion. I was gonna say, that's got sexist overtones. Yeah, we are a progressive, forward-thinking podcast here, and I will not stand for the suggestion that women cannot also take massive dumps. My wife is going to fucking kill me for what I'm about to say. Oh no, well, <laughs> I was think real hard about it. <laughs> As somebody who lives with a woman, I can tell you that assumption is false. Yeah. That's all. That's all I'm gonna say. Yeah, we're all human beings here. God damn it. <laughs> uh, the club's manager Steiner Floyzvik feels that uh, there may be a few possible motives. It's possible they say that it could be someone with mental issues or someone with a strange fetish. And on that second point, as wacky as that sounds, keep in mind this is Europe. That That is entirely in play. They like some weird almost, shit over there. It almost seems too specific for that because it, it was only ever one golf club that this happened to. And one would think that if you get your rocks off by taking shits on, in, on golf courses, you got all kinds of options. Why keep going back to the same one? I'm not here to kink shame, man. Maybe it's the specific grass at that specific golf course. 
I don't know. Maybe, yeah, maybe the cups are bigger and in the holes, and that makes it more convenient. I don't know. Um, but they're preferred. Also, go ahead. Sorry, Alex. No, I was just going to say, how fucking cool are Scandinavian names? Oh, they really yeah. are. Steiner Floysvik, beautiful. Kenneth yeah. Tenfjord. Um, their preferred theory, though, is that this is someone acting out because they hate the game of golf. That's right. The rare anti-golfer hate crime. The first hate crime I've ever been able to get behind. And look, yeah, I, I was going to say, I get it. I, I have discussed a few times over the years. I've had, just in the business I'm in, I am in contact with a lot of relatively wealthy business people. And I have been asked if I play golf a thousand <clears throat> times. And I, every time, say no. And... I've got friends who have tried to get me to play golf before. And the reason I have always resisted is because I just, there is part of my brain that just does not want to become a guy who plays golf. There is, there is one golf tournament <clears throat> that I would really like to participate in at some point. Uh, and it's one that's held where we live and it's put on by, uh, it's put on by uh, Kelly and, and that mm -hmm. group of people. Yep. Uh, and the reason I want to participate in this particular golf tournament and i i'm the same way i don't golf i it seems dumb and boring other than the fact that you can like drive around in a cart and drink beers all day but that, that part does sound pretty kick-ass i will yeah, admit you, you gotta it, hand it to him that's true but uh this this tournament has a very specific prize called the john daly trophy Mm. Which is strokes minus beers drank. Yeah, now there's a guy, by the way, John Daly. <laughs> My goodness. Um, the one, Wade Boggs of golf. One of the most guy athletes <laughs> that you'll that you'll ever find. Um, yeah, Cody and I have never played organized golf, which is pretty impressive considering we grew up on a farm that literally bordered a golf course. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, you know, but but we would never go to these lengths. You know, our disdain for golf doesn't go nearly that far. Um, but that's their theory. I have some theories of my own, but we'll get to that later. So you may all be asking yourselves, as horrifying as this all is, how is it that the Stavanger Golf Club was never able to put a stop to the madness? The answer, dear listeners, is that they tried. First of all, this may have been something kind of lost in translation, but it seems like Norway has some like, odd, strict rules about installing surveillance cameras out in the open. Like, I guess you need police permission to do it. Because what I read was that Stavanger asked the local police for permission to set up surveillance cameras, and the cops told them no. Which, <laughs> listen, I'm never one to justify lazy police work, but that is really, really funny. They wanted yeah. nothing to do with this. <laughs> so now... I'm kind of wondering if maybe this was an inside job. Maybe one of the cops hmm. is the one doing it. Hmm. We'll, we'll get to our speculation later. Fear not. Um, so with no help coming from the police and no surveillance cameras allowed, the club decided to get creative. They called in their ace in the hole. Groundskeeper Frode Jormeland sprung into action. Frode Jormeland. Jormeland installed high-tech... And his friends, Mary and Pippin. Uh... That's very cute. I can't okay. carry the ring, but I can carry you. <laughs> Listen, if we're just going to do Lord of the Rings shit, like we're, we're going to have a three-hour episode. Sure. <laughs> so you're... One turd to rule them all. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you for that. 
Don't right, thank right, me. Right, thank whoever did this. So, uh, Yormaland installed high-tech, high-powered spotlights in the trees next to the poopers' preferred dumping holes. The spotlights were motion-triggered and hung from the longest branches that sat closest to the holes. The hope here was that when the pooper returned, the motion would suddenly kick on the bright lights and startle him so much that he'd flee. A, a reasonable plan. It, it seemed that Frode Yormaland was set to be the hero of this tale. And so... Imagine his surprise when he returned the next morning to find yet another gigantic turd staring him right in the face, defying his attempts to stop the madman. How could this be, Yormelin surely wondered. I had this all planned down to the last detail. Yormelin, unfortunately, had severely underestimated the person he was dealing with. What the pooper had done upon arriving at the scene was climb up the tree, climb out onto the long branches, risking life and limb, dismantle the spotlights by hand, and drop the parts onto the ground. It was a remarkably impressive feat. How did he keep his balance? How did he not get electrocuted? How was he able to dismantle the lights flying in there? <laughs> How did he not shit his pants, dude? Like, <laughs> like the, the way you describe these turds is like somebody who's got to go right now. Yeah, they're all enormous, supposedly. <laughs> like, like, this is somebody who's got to go right now. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever felt like you've had to go right now, but, like, you don't have time to climb a tree and dismantle spotlights. <laughs> no. No, not not unless you're Spider-Man. No, it's, that's the only way I can see that working. <clears throat> um, so after performing this incredible act of acrobatics, the pooper, of course, added insult to injury by doing what he did best dropping a huge, stinking log in the respective golf hole. I like to imagine it was his most enormous one yet. This guy is the Jackie Chan of shitting on <laughs> golf courses. It has gotten to the point where he is he is doing things physically that I am finding impressive. That yeah. is how far we've gone with this. The closest that Stavanger ever came to capturing the pooper was one morning when he taunted the groundskeepers by dropping his customary load right before their arrival. The groundskeepers found a fresh, steaming turd and bike tracks so recent that they left imprints in the morning dew. This was obviously not an overnight job. This crime scene had come to be mere minutes prior. The groundskeepers followed the bike tracks, but the trail ran cold. A mere fleeting hope, as they would never come that close to catching the pooper again. All in all, the mysterious golf hole pooper tortured Stavanger Golf Course for over ten years. <laughs> I I thought I had misheard you when you introduced the topic and said like from 2005 to 2015. So I was like I was like oh okay and then you started describing it and I was like there's no way this dude did this for 10 years. You misheard nothing. It was a decade and change of semi-regular giant turds and golf holes. In 2015 the story gained some traction in the press and here's where I'll cite my sources. I read articles from UPI, Vice, Deadspin, Huffington Post. My favorite of all was actually from the sports pages of the Swedish publication Aftenbladet. Um, because this story is funny enough to read as is, but translated from Swedish, it's just chef's kiss. Or Swedish chef's kiss, I should say. Ork, 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 ork. Bergen, Bergen. <laughs> Bergen, Turgen. There. Hey, hey, I was going to say, there's your uh, required Muppets reference. Yeah. <clears throat> there it is. 
Uh, I will recite just the opening line of that article from the Swedish paper. Uh, Stavanger Golf Club in Norway has for the past 10 years suffered victims of a series poop. <laughs> I love it. A series poop. <laughs> you know, we've all had those days. We, we've been there. My, my friend Brock would uh, uh, describe days like that. The, the phrase he would always use is uh, a wild safari shit. <laughs> like a shit so adventurous it felt like you're just going on a safari through the jungle yes that is a great that is a great <laughs> describer yeah uh, a follow-up article in norway today in december 2020 reported that the serial poopings had eventually stopped stavanger claimed that when they installed nighttime lights along the paths running through the course the pooper finally quit their identity though remains as mysterious today as it did on that fateful day in 2005 when Kenneth Tenfield found the first of the hundreds, if not thousands of turds, he would be forced to clean up over the next decade of his life. <laughs> At which point I'll point out, this guy, Kenneth Tenfield, may somehow be the most tragic figure in here's a guy history. <laughs> this guy cleaned up turds almost every day for over a decade. <laughs> you know, points for tenacity, though. Like, he did this for ten years and didn't quit that job. Yeah. For sure. So while Stavanger must feel quite relieved that the uh, the poop no is... <laughs> no you can't We're not giving that sorry <laughs> that the uh, that the incidents eventually stopped. I'm not going to rule out the possibility the pooper may still be out there, gearing up, waiting for his most insulting load yet. So as mentioned previously. The employees of Stavanger have their theories as to who the pooper is. But I have my own thoughts. See, their theory that this was a continuous act of anti-golf malice doesn't add up. As we talked about, if that was the case, why was only Stavanger targeted? Why no other golf courses? There's plenty of golf courses in Norway. Are there? I think so. There's at least. I was gonna say. I have you no say idea. there's at least six because Stavanger was six on That's the right. list. That's <laughs> right. It would be funny if there were only six and it was ranked last, not because the course was bad, but because like there's just human turds laying around all over the place. <laughs> I mean, I think that makes the course bad. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's one possibility. Could be someone with a grudge against that particular club, a disgruntled former member, or perhaps an employee of a rival course out to destroy them. But even still, that's a lot of time spent. Sneaking onto golf courses at night and taking dumps. Surely somebody in their life would have started asking questions. Another possibility, Cody, as you mentioned, is an inside job. You mentioned the police being involved, possibly. Um, a couple other theories. Perhaps Kenneth Tenfield was a hated member of the Stavanger employee team, and his comrades set out to torture him. Perhaps Steiner Floisvik was a ruthless, capitalist boss retaliating against Kenneth for attempting to unionize the course workers. There's all kinds of possibilities. But I don't know. Ten years is a long time to go without uh, Kenneth Tenfield picking up on the truth in that scenario. For a wilder possibility, I'll put on my X-Files cap and suggest that perhaps it could be the work of a cruel alien experiment or Bigfoot enacting revenge on a golf course cutting into his natural habitat. But the problem... Now, the, go ahead. The idea of Bigfoot on a bicycle is just fantastic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It has to be a big-ass bicycle, yeah. though. Comedy gold already. No, see, I like I, the Harry from Harry and the Hendersons yeah. mm -hmm. on a normal ass sized bicycle is <laughs> yeah. way funnier. Or maybe a little. Oh, it's way funnier. <laughs> maybe sure, a little yeah. trick. <laughs> but 
I don't know, extraterrestrials likely have a different diet than humans, so their turds must surely look different than ours. And it's far-fetched to believe Bigfoot could have diligently taken apart the complex spotlights, unless he had gone undercover in everyday Norwegian society to train as an electrician, much like how the 9-11 hijackers learned to pilot a plane. Hey, look. And, and there's my customary now, 9-11 reference for when I'm doing a segment with Pookie. Sorry. I don't like it any more than you all do. <laughs> so, you know, this, this is an interesting possibility because if you shaved Bigfoot, he'd be super white. Yeah. And also really big. He would be a six foot six, incredibly white dude. <laughs> That's needle in a haystack in fucking Norway. Listen, I uh, I there's a reason I'm six two and orange. Yeah, like... you have Viking lineage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if you shave Bigfoot, he could probably blend into Norwegian society pretty easily. So there's all kinds of different possibilities. <clears throat> But, no, no, no. After carefully reviewing the facts, I can come to only one conclusion about the identification of the pooper. A man with a twisted sense of humor, with a lot of free time and with a terrible diet, with a strange set of athletic abilities who stays up late all the time. Cody, Pookie, I ask of you. Could this man be the infamous golf hole pooper? <laughs> and for all of you so... out there... I am holding up a picture of Jack John. <laughs> so, took about 30 seconds into your into your monologue there. I was like, oh, it's going to be Jack. <laughs> it makes so much sense. Listen. And also, we, quite convenient. Here's the thing. Go ahead. No, that's, I was going to say, here's the thing. We got to pay attention to the Norwegian papers tomorrow. And if the golf course pooper strikes again. We know. And... I'm just going to, it's quite convenient that the week where I'm finally discussing this topic is the week that Jack John has a scheduling conflict. A, an obligation, if you will. We've all known Jack for at least 10 years now. When has that, when has that fella ever, ever held to a schedule? Never. I've never never that I can thing. think of. Unless, of course, it's a schedule on a golf course in Norway. I have contacted Interpol, and I have told them that I think I know their man. A red alert will be going out shortly. So that brings me to my big question for the two of you. Actually, actually, it's a brown alert. It's like the amber Aha! alert, but, uh, but not quite. Um, write that down. Um, so my big question to the two of you. I threw out a lot of theories. Which which theory do you subscribe to, or do you have your own theory as to as to what the identification of the golf hole pooper is? So here's here's the deal. If it turns out not to be Jack, mm -hmm. it probably is. Yeah. But if it turns out not to be Jack, let's look at the facts. Let's look at the profile that these groundskeepers made for the golf course pooper. Mm -hmm. Struck overnight. Mm -hmm. Somebody who probably works a night job then. Quite and during weekdays, so somebody who probably works over the weekends, mm -hmm. rides a bike. Mm -hmm. Now, I understand this is Europe. People are a lot more ecologically conscious in Europe. However, this does kind of lead me to believe maybe somebody who can't quite afford a motor vehicle. Mm -hmm. This is the bartender 
from the local heavy metal bar trying to live up to Norway's reputation (laughs) as hardcore death metal crazy people. So instead of burning churches, they went a different way with it. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's an interesting theory. Yeah. Yeah, that's old hat. Or maybe he's afraid of fire. So this is the best this is the best that he can do. Interesting. <laughs> oh man. This is I got to tell you this is one of the greatest mysteries uh that I've I've ever been told. One of the greatest. So if I were to put on my Sherlock Holmes detective hat for a moment, I would say that just sheerly based on the ease with which this person gets into the golf course, their seeming ability to avoid anyone else being there um, narrowly on some occasions, that would lead me to believe that this is probably somebody who either works there or worked there. For one of many of the reasons Alex suggested earlier. Yeah, no, in all seriousness, this is almost certainly somebody who, like, has or does work there. But the thing (laughs) is, here's the thing that really, really gets me. I've had jobs that I hated. But this is dedication. This is 10 years worth of shitting on a golf course. Yeah. Who is so driven as as to do something like that? I do not... it really, it's absolutely baffling that somebody would be this committed to this bit. That's true. That is a that is a ten year bit. Yeah. Like, and it, it's got to be if it's a former employee. Good God, what must the working <laughs> conditions there have been like to keep you that angry for that long after you worked there? Yeah. No. Very. My uh yeah, my bet is definitely somebody. You know what? Here's here's my wa- uh wild dark horse possibility idea. How about the owner of the golf course? Because <laughs> he might have made a bet with some of his rich dipshit buddies like, you know what? I run that ship so tight these people got to do I got them totally under my thumb. I bet I could take a shit on that golf course every morning and they'd have to clean it up and no one would ever point the finger at me and maybe he did. I don't know. That's the thing, though that that I could see in the United States. Like Scandinavia is, by all accounts, not a bad place to live for people. Right. No, as as far as economics go, they seem to have things uh, yeah. a lot better than we do for the most part. Like, so. like Alex, you had mentioned like union busting is like they're they're on board with unions. Yeah. in in Scandinavia. <clears throat> yeah, that's something that would happen here. Yeah, but. What if, to go with your owner theory, what if it was an owner and he was trying to do like a major league situation? S- somehow trying to sabotage his own golf course. Yeah, I maybe, yeah, maybe he was, but if he were going to sell it, or she were going to sell it, or whoever were going to sell it, that would lower the resale value, I would think. So that, that lowers the amount of money you're going to get for it. Like, if you... If you sell an unshat upon golf course, one would think the market value for that's a little higher than one that's been the target of consistent uh, attacks of defecation for a decade. Well, yeah. There's just so many weird twists and turns. It's, again, it really is such a great mystery because no 
solution makes 100% sense. Yeah, the thing that makes it, like, the craziest is the fact that it's a decade. Yeah. Right? Like, like I could see... I could see the three of us in college, like, going and pooping at the links. Like, it would be funny. Twice. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe nobody ever suggested that, actually. <laughs> well, and I, I won't I won't say this publicly, but let's just say I know for a fact that uh, Cody and our, our, our friend Tom in college had a running challenge involving uh, some sort of uh, bodily fluid vandalism on, on certain types of buildings <laughs> in town. But uh, ask one of them in person if oh. you really want to know. Um, I'm mildly certain Cody and I started that, if probably. it's what I'm thinking May of. Maybe the operation yeah. was bigger than I thought. <laughs> um, no, no, no. This is actually uh, same same thing, different type of building in town. Ah, okay. okay. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, Pookie. Yeah. <laughs> Or the, the I don't think we ever had a name for it. We just our goal walking no, back from the bars <laughs> was to pee on every church we could. <laughs> <laughs> the other you can cut that if you want. <laughs> <laughs> this is all parody. Um, the other big thing that IC students would do was that if you remember the just total uh, dick bag congressman Aaron Shock. Uh -huh. stupidly had his office in town right next to the main college bar. So, like, everybody yeah. pissed on the side of his building. <laughs> oh, yeah. Maybe that's why he... Well, anyway. He's a guy in and of himself as well, so... <laughs> yeah, we we'll save that for another day. Do a, we could seriously do an episode on uh, on Aaron Shock. Was was Aaron Shock the, uh, the Downton Abbey guy? Yes. He okay. was the one That's... who had his thing decorated, uh, had his office decorated like Downton Abbey. And it cost like a, a bajillion dollars and people got pissed about it. Yeah. Well, um, if we want to talk about uh, needless, needless extravagance in buildings, everybody hold that thought for, for just another few minutes. Um, <laughs> that is... That is... One of the most beautiful segues I've ever heard. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, obviously a very fascinating opening topic. But uh, um, with that segue, um, let's move on to our second topic this week. And uh, bringing that to us is our very special guest, Pookie. So, Pookie, take us away. Who's your guy this week? So, extravagant spending, absolutely. Uh, my guy... My guy is a house. I see. And I'm going to take you guys on a quick little jaunt back to Gilded Age America. Definitely just a fun little jaunt down American history that has no moral or ethical significance to anything that's happening today, um, especially to do with the super rich and political connections and, and things of those nature. Absolutely. Yeah, all just that, a fun... All all that's long gone. The the age of billionaires controlling everything that happens in the country, whether they should be able to or not, that's 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 archaic. Yeah, that's, no such thing happens anymore. That's not been just America the whole time or anything. I can't sure. even keep that bit going. That's how wrong that was. I just can't do that anymore. I am talking about the Biltmore Estate in Asheville, North Carolina. What I would like for everyone, for, for you two and for the listeners at home, just go ahead and grab your whetstones and your guillotines. Oh, boy. Because that's what this segment is going to make you want to do. Yowzas. 
I just I just want to remember or I want to remind everyone listening that at their core the rich are edible. That's correct, Pookie, especially if you're Alfred Packer. <laughs> None of those imagine guys were rich. Day. Yeah, that was well, yeah, you look. imagine the field day he would have had with these guys. These guys <laughs> probably have way more meat on them. Oh, absolutely. So uh, before we really get into we really get into the estate and the mansion uh, on the estate, I'm gonna give you a little bit of background on the Vanderbilt family um, before we really dive into it here. And there's gonna be a bunch of names, and I'm gonna skim over some of the details because every single name that I bring up could definitely be a guy in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <clears throat> so we're gonna start with uh, Cornelius the Commodore Vanderbilt. Whose name I hate him already. <laughs> <laughs> whose name is listed alongside John D. Rockefeller, Andrew Carnegie, you know, these kind of people as the richest Americans ever. He built his empire in railroads and shipping. Look, um, if you if you describe yourself as a Commodore and you were never in a <clears throat> musical group with Lionel Richie, I already don't like you. Um, and and I I I don't remember exactly, but I'm fairly certain. Cornelius Vanderbilt never served in the military, which is the only other way it would be acceptable to have that nickname. Mm-hmm. I don't know for sure, but I, I'm I'm <clears throat> fairly certain that he never served in the military. See, I can't take anybody named Cornelius seriously because, and here's a reference for uh, any children who grew up in the 90s and 2000s who went to the Illinois State Fair, all I think of is Captain Cornelius. The uh, anthropomorphic corn mascot for, I guess, was it the corn lobby or some shit? It's, uh, it's Illinois, so I'm sure they're, yeah. they're extremely powerful. I, yeah, I was going to say, the corn lobby in Illinois is probably the single most powerful lobby in the state. <laughs> you probably need yeah. to be careful what we say about them, actually. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, we're probably going to get sued for even referencing that character. <laughs> So, so the robber barons, which is what they called these people, and I, I know this is review for you guys, but for our friends at home listening who may not be as versed in terrible, awful, rich people, um, they were able to become so um, unimaginably wealthy because they could monopolize entire industries. So Cornelius was the railroad and shipping guy. Like, he made every penny that was able to be made on railroads and shipping in the country. Yeah, before anti-monopoly legislation became a thing, you could, I mean, it, it became surprisingly easy. Um, and even their, like, the Sherman Antitrust Act was, what, 1890? But even afterwards, they still found ways to keep control over most of an entire incredibly lucrative industry. Yeah. And I mean, it's not, it's not like there aren't monopolies today. The Sherman Antitrust Act made sure that could never happen again. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, uh, fuck. Now we're all depressed. I'm going to go cry. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm going to throw some numbers at you. Um, and these numbers, they don't sound so big compared to like the ultra-rich now. But uh, so Cornelius Vanderbilt, when when he passes away, his will is worth close to a hundred million dollars. This is bigger than the U.S. Treasury at the time, and this was not a time when the United States was in debt or had treasury issues. 
So the Commodore dies. He leaves most of his money to William Vanderbilt, whose name pops up alongside the Commodore, uh, Rockefeller, Carnegie, these guys. Uh, just another crazy wealthy human being. But there are some shady goings-on about the will. There are several lawsuits become involved in, in the... Uh, in the separation of, of the Commodore's money and a spiritualist who may or may not have tricked the Commodore with ghosts. I see. Yes. Because <laughs> ghosts, you say. Because again, remember that this is a meritocracy and only the deserving and intelligent <laughs> get super, super rich. And what There's... do super intelligent people do? They change their wills because of ghosts. <laughs> yeah. There's there's so much here, and I don't want to like super get into it because I really want somebody to do just a whole bit on either the Commodore or William Vanderbilt. Um, so I'm not going to go crazy into it. So we're gonna we're gonna narrow down. We're gonna focus on my good friend George. I'm gonna call him Georgie. Okay. But George Washington Vanderbilt, born in 1862, the youngest son of William Vanderbilt. If you'll remember from about 40 seconds ago, the son who inherited most of the money from the Commodore. Almost certainly, uh, Georgie is, is William Vanderbilt's favorite. Um, although he left most of his $200 million fortune split between his two eldest sons, uh, it's, it's widely accepted. He spent most of his time with his youngest son, um, very much was his favorite kid. Um, Georgie gets himself a couple million dollars from his dad, a um, couple million dollars uh, left over from his grandpa, and uh, the income from a $5 million trust fund. <sighs> so it's going to bring us around to the late 1880s. Georgie's about 18, 19 years old at this point begins visiting the Asheville area with his mom, and he loves it. The climate and landscape are beautiful, which I can attest to. I go there a couple times a year. Um, it's a huge craft beer area as well, so I spend some time in that area a couple of times a year. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he's just thinking about, you know, what is it that you do when you have more money than God? Whatever so, you want. Yeah. So Georgie decides, I'm going to build me a big-ass summer house. I was going to so, say, uh, same thing we do every night, Pinky. <laughs> oh, wait. We, oh, wait. We already take, take over, over the world. world. Yeah, I was going to no, say, they've already let's, got it. Let's build a house <laughs> instead. Let's build a weird house instead. So uh, Georgie hires uh, Richard Morris Hunt to design the estate. Uh, now, this name may ring a bell. Uh, because this is the gentleman who designed the entrance and Great Hall to the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City and the pedestal of the Statue of Liberty. So this so, is kind of a superstar architect. Yeah. So while I have never actually been to the Met, uh, having never been to New York, if you have never seen pictures of that entrance hall, it's beautiful. I mean, mm -hmm. it is really... Yeah just a, a marvel of architecture and you know the base of the statue of liberty also pretty prestigious as well yeah um he designed a, a bunch of gilded age mansions on fifth avenue um a lot of them were for other 
members of the Vanderbilt family, which has grown quite large at this point. We're two generations deep, and this is super rich Americans in the late 1800s. They had a bunch of kids. Um, but construction begins on the Biltmore Estate in 1889 here. And just doing a quick little bit of mental math, uh, this makes our pal Georgie 26 fucking years old. Wow. Uh, I don't know what you were doing at 26. Uh, yeah, you do. You were there, too. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, actually, that's a lie. I know exactly what you're doing at 26. <laughs> it wasn't this, were, was it? You are doing it with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I spent most of my free time uh, at a bar, and that's it. Yep. We were living cheers for a little while there. Yeah. Us and about six or eight of our friends. Yeah. Uh, so Georgie, he just starts buying up land. Um, the Biltmore Archives, uh, and according to their spokespeople, uh, comes up with about 125,000 acres of property. Um, so let's put this into a little bit of context, because these numbers get pretty big, and big numbers don't necessarily make sense to a lot of people. Uh, so the entire town that Cody and I live in is about 7,000 acres. It's the whole town, including two college campuses and, and a, a population and of, what, 20,000 people, something close to least. that? And the thing is, our town is a little bit spread out. Like, yeah. it's yeah. especially over the last couple of years, it's not nearly as dense as it could be. So it's not, even though the population isn't super low, area-wise, it's not like a tiny, tiny town. So yeah. this is a huge, huge chunk of land. So, uh, and, and this land purchased, and again, this goes back to the Biltmore Archives and the spokespeople from the uh, Biltmore Estates, um, talking about how the land purchased was in really bad shape and most of the farmers and landowners were glad to sell, which, okay, no, they yeah, weren't, uh, but fine. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't, uh, I, I don't know that I believe that. Yeah. That sounds about as legit as your average $3 bill, but, like, uh, uh, whatever you got to tell yourself, but. Yeah. Um, so I watched a, a Smithsonian piece on the estate, and they said, and I quote, with virtually unlimited resources at his disposal. <clears throat> this guy just, whatever the hell he wants to do, he can do it. So this house was a huge feat to build. It took about six years to get everything taken care of, um, including a brick factory on premise and a private railway to run supplies to the construction site. Okay. Here's just a, a quick rule of thumb. If the structure that you are building has gotten so large that you need a spot on site where you can produce the materials to keep building it, it's too big. Yeah, that's too yeah. much. That's too much. <clears throat> So, 1895, construction is completed. And now, sitting on top of this 125,000-acre property is the largest privately owned home in the United States. Still is, by the way. Um, at 176,926 square feet. Put this into a little bit context for you. Mar-a-Lago, 24th on that list. At 62,500 square feet. The fucking White House. 
37th on that list at 55,000 square feet. It's just unbelievable. Now, you know, obviously you found a list ranking them by size. Is there one out there for, I don't know, like flammability? (laughs) Parody. This is parody. In Minecraft. Flammability in Minecraft. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just because we want to call all of the, uh, you know, fire safety officers yeah. in the area and make sure those buildings are up to code, because yeah. exactly. you know, we certainly wouldn't want anything bad to happen to any of these people. No, I am worried about the safety of the citizens of this fine country. Hey, they're they're jo- they're our biggest job producers. We gotta, you know, it's important that that we keep them in good standing. You know. Yeah, we gotta we gotta keep giving tax breaks to the rich because that those benefits are just gonna trickle down. To the workers and and the, just the whole working class, yeah. and those benefits yeah. are going to trickle I mean, down. All of that, all of that gets put straight back into the economy through like all of the mom and pop yacht shops that they visit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you're just you're you're just you're helping the working class by helping the upper class, Where, and uh, that, folks, is uh, that is also. Uh, something that we call parody. Um, if you hadn't picked up on that, uh, if by any means you were for some reason going to try and take an example from us, that's not the one we want you to take. <laughs> yeah, we're uh, we're not actually a Republican podcast, uh, unless you're the uh, the Mister FBI man listening to this. In which case, yes, we are. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> the uh, the floor space of this absolutely monstrous home. Uh, comes out to about four acres, 250 total rooms, 35 bedrooms, 43 bathrooms, 65 fireplaces, and three kitchens. Now, I've I've been to this mansion. I've taken the tour twice, um, and I'll keep doing it. Honestly, one, it's not. It, it is still a privately owned estate, but it's not like somebody's house anymore. So uh, the Biltmore Company owns the estate, um, but it's basically an art museum. And as somebody who comes from a, a background in art, um, walking through, seeing the collection, seeing the architecture, it's super cool, honestly. Um, but part of the reason that this is like such an experience from that point of view is because our friend Georgie spent a shit ton of money bringing in tapestries and paintings and prints and furniture and just anything that his greedy little heart desired. There's an Albrecht Durer print, um, which I don't know how much that name means to you guys, but anyone who's taken like an art history 200 level class knows that name. Um, huge, prolific German printmaker. Um, this print specifically that uh, Georgie Boy went out and bought uh, was commissioned by the Holy Roman Emperor Maximilian I. Jesus. Yeah, that's a uh, pretty good gig. So any, and maybe you didn't uh, bring this info with you, but any idea what that uh, print would be worth today? Um. No, I, I don't necessarily have that information, but uh, the number is big. Yeah. Uh, the number is big. A lot. <laughs> so so I'm going to take you guys on a little 
little visual tour. I'm, we're we're going to use our imagination. We're going to go on a little tour of this house. So we're going to walk in on the first floor. First of all, the facade and the doors are incredible. Pillars and, and like, English countryside manor and, uh, like, French manor inspired. Um, just beautiful entrance. Walks into this marbled entrance hall. Um, and this marbled entrance hall leads into what is called the Winter Garden which is a sunken greenhouse with stone arches and, like, multifaceted glass all around it. Going to walk out of the uh, Winter Garden into the Banquet Hall, which me measures 42 by 72 feet with a 70-foot-high barrel-vaulted ceiling. Good God. The table could seat 64 guests and has a triple fireplace that covers an entire end of the hall. Jeez. Because, you know, that's what you need. Three fireplaces. Yeah. Then we get to, uh, through the banquet hall, brings us into the tapestry gallery, featuring three 16th century tapestries. Um, again, and, and I, I wish I remembered. Um, I don't remember the titles of the tapestries, but just crazy expensive, one-of-a-kind, probably the most expensive pieces in the entire house. Like, the Albrecht Durer print is is up there, but I'm fairly certain these are worth more. So, again, just want to reiterate here that <laughs> if your home includes a tapestry gallery, actually, if your home includes a gallery of anything that takes up this much space, what you're doing is bad and you should feel bad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, the tapestry gallery kind of works as a uh, functional hallway uh, into the library. I, I will admit, I do love a good tapestry. For for, yeah. for as gross as I find these people, I'm sure I would love this hallway. Yeah, and and table that thought because this does the story does have a little bit of a happy ending. I see. Um. So so through the tapestry gallery, that's going to lead us into the library which contains over 10,000 volumes, many of them first editions, uh, in eight languages, covering topics from literature to history to architecture to gardening and everything in between. And uh, there is a, you know, one of those cool, like, rolling ladders that, that cool, like, uh -huh. libraries from movies have. And then there's yeah, a when little... The, when, they, when you have floor-to-ceiling bookshelves, yeah, yeah. That's, that's awesome. And then there's a little staircase that goes up to like a little balcony, and on that little balcony is a secret passage to the uh, main or to uh, Georgie Boy's main bedroom because he would basically sneak out at night and go hang out in the library. And of course, there was. Yeah, of oh, course, absolutely. there were secret passages. Yeah, I mean, we these should, are we... these are a bunch of rich creeps. There is no way that house is not full of secret passages. And I refuse to believe that many of them were not used for nefarious purposes at least once or twice. Yeah, I know how this goes. I've seen Scooby-Doo. Yeah. So, uh, also on the first floor, a uh, little bit further out, uh, is the Bachelor's Wing. Uh, hey, 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 now we're talking. <laughs> uh -huh. 
So there's a, a billiards room, a smoking room, and a gun room, as well as private bachelor quarters. Now, in the billiards room and the gun room, ladies were more than welcome to join. Uh, but in the private bachelor quarters, no girls allowed. Okay, well, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> um, that is the room I would most want women to be allowed into. I could give a shit about the billiards and the guns. I, I'm going to say this, and I want to be very, very clear. This is not a, as a critique. This is not as an insult. I'm not saying there's anything wrong or bad about this. I'm simply pointing it out as an observation. That is incredibly gay. That is a very gay thing to do. Yeah, <laughs> to, I mean, have, to have a special boys room where girls aren't allowed as an adult with a ton of money. The, the, the modesty traditions of, of, especially like in the late 1800s, early 1900s, just in the Western world as a whole, are hilarious to me. Yeah. <laughs> what, what's really funny is the way that most of these incredibly rich people from this time period acted, the idea that that made any difference at all was just fucking hilarious. Right. That, there was, that there was a no girls allowed sign on the door. Like, these people were fucking anything that wasn't nailed down, and some of them didn't even like restrain themselves that far. Yeah, and they were doing it all with a lit opium pipe and a line of cocaine. Yeah. Yep. That they what? just got from the pharmacy for 10 cents. Well, yeah. What are the odds that uh, a Keystone Light has ever been consumed in this mansion? Probably, probably <laughs> low, right? Probably zero. I'd have to look it up. I, I don't think Keystone Light has existed for that long. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, uh, in the late 1800s, beer tasted mostly good. Because uh, it was made without. Don't ask me this. Okay. We're gonna, yeah, I know. We're that's gonna be another extra half hour. Say <laughs> that's that is a that is a long kooky tangent. Yeah. They, the, to make it short, beer was made better than. Sure. Sure. Um. So we're gonna go back into the entrance hall, where is the grand staircase? And the grand staircase is made entirely of, so of stone and cantilevered, meaning it's only supported by one side. And now this is gonna work really well in an audio-only format, but I'm gonna use my hands to show you what cantilevered means. So supported only from one side means basically here's the wall and here is the stair, and it is only supported from the wall. So this side here is entirely free hanging. Yeah. So the stairs are up against the wall on one side, and then there's just nothing on the other. Yes, correct. Okay. So the we have staircase... all seen stairs like this, or yes. pictures of stairs mm -hmm. like this. Uh, what makes this impressive is this is a gigantic stone spiral staircase. I don't have the figures, but I know that the the weight and the engineering required to make that happen was quite a feat. I mean, that, yeah, just to be able to, the architecture here is really impressive because some yeah. of this stuff, even if you were able to conceptualize it, this in particular, that's, it's hard to make that work. Like yeah. the amount of planning that must have taken is unimaginable. So that's going to bring us up onto the second floor, which, which has the second floor living hall. Um, and I, I define it as such because this is one of three living halls in the building, um, which, you know, I have a living room. I've lived in apartments that 
did not have a living room. Mm-hmm. Uh, You've lived in apartments that were a living room. Yes. Yes, I have. Um, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, not not to you. To rich people. Yeah, exactly. In Minecraft. Um, so this brings us into the family bedrooms. Um, and there is a second study um, on the second floor that was for private family use. Um, another several, what would today be several millions of dollars worth of furniture um, uh, in this private living room. Um, and again, the the late 1800, early 1900 uh, modesty traditions, separate bedrooms for husband and wife. That's weird even for this time, I feel right? like. Right? Mm-hmm. I, like, I mean, where if you have... Think, where do people think all these fucking kids came from? Well... Like, separate yeah. bedrooms? They didn't even have Ricky and Lucy beds? No, they had totally separate bedrooms. That's too bad. <laughs> uh... So that's going to take us back to the staircase, back up to the third floor, which has, um, like, 30 guest bedrooms. Um, God almighty. Every single guest bedroom. And and there's also a more public living area on the third floor. Um, Every guest bedroom is furnished differently. Um, Different theme, different artist hung on the walls. Um, and it is named, they are named thusly. So every room has a placard and it tells you the name of the room, which tells you um, what furniture is in it, like what style of furniture is in it, or what artist is hanging on the walls. So, Another... like, so like Graceland, if it weren't designed by white trash. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Up to the fourth floor, mostly female servants' quarters, um, because again, you can't have boys and girls sleeping close to each other. Because what would God think? Yeah, I, um, I'm sure. I'm sure there wasn't a secret passage from yeah. the bachelor quarters directly to some of the female servants' quarters. I'm sure that wasn't a thing. Nothing. Uh, nothing official, but probably. yeah, but that's why they're secret <laughs> passageways is that they're not official. So here's my favorite part of the fourth floor. There is an observatory where, like a fucking supervillain, Georgie could go up onto the observatory and just gaze at his entire estate. Hmm. Now I'm just imagining this whole building being shaped like a skull and rising out of a lake like the Legion of Doom. (laughs) (laughs) So so we're going to go from the top of the building... All the way down to the bottom, and we're going to go down to the basement. And this is where a lot of the really, like, not necessarily architecturally interesting things, but kind of like the cool, like, richy rich shit is. <laughs> this is where the gold-plated toilets are. So, uh, I mean, kind of. Uh, so you go into the basement. There is an indoor 70,000-gallon heated swimming pool with underwater alley. Or, excuse me, underwater lighting. Okay, so a 70,000-gallon swimming pool, do you have the dimensions on how big the pool is or, or just a guesstimate? Uh, I don't off the top of my head, um, but I'd bet probably 40 by 20 feet. And, you know, the deep end's probably 15 feet deep. Yeah, that's a big fucking pool. Yeah, it is. Um, 
I'd like you guys to remember a heated swimming pool with underwater lighting. This building was finished in 1896. Yeah. This is the kind of thing that you would like expect to see at a rich person's place today. Not common, but not extremely uncommon. And yet, again, to, to see this back then, it's, it's very. It feels very yeah. anachronistic. Yeah, the this engineering is... that it would have taken to do that at that <clears> time, <throat> like, and to to avoid like shocking anyone to death because there has to be electricity yeah. running at least to the lights. Yeah, um, at a time where not everyone had electricity, not everyone had indoor plumbing. Right. They have a 70,000-gallon heated swimming pool with underwater lighting. Why couldn't that guy from Norway come here and shit in the pool every morning? <laughs> <laughs> Go after someone who deserves it. Uh, also, a bowling alley, uh, which I read too far ahead in my notes. That's why I fucked that up. Uh, and a gymnasium with the most, like, unitard, like, leopard print unitard-wearing German circus strongman exercise equipment that you can imagine. Everyone, like, everyone's, like, super bald but has a great big mustache. Yeah. So this is, like, medicine balls and Indian clubs and stuff like that? Yeah. There's literally a rack of Indian clubs against the wall. Which oh. I'm sure is a awful derogatory term but i don't know another word for it i was gonna say that's just what they're called yes um, that's terrible but it's what they're called a, a, a bowling alley in a mansion sounds like a, an ideal place to uh uh kill your your main rival throughout the story uh with a bowling pin after you've finally uh, uh fallen to alcoholism and isolated yourself from everyone you've ever loved <laughs> but gotta make sure you explain the concept of drainage first yeah and some things about milkshakes so, you guys are making a reference. I could tell you're making a reference. Yeah, sorry. But I... I it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> you could have just let that go. We were out of here. It's the wonderful Daniel Day-Lewis film, There Will Be Blood. Ah. Spo spoiler. Okay. <laughs> it's fine. I, I, It's one that I haven't seen. I know it's good, but I just haven't taken the time to sit down and watch it. Anyway. <laughs> um... In the basement is also the main kitchen, the pastry kitchen, and the rotisserie kitchen, which is what it sounds like. There is a giant oven and a giant rotisserie spit. See, when you, said when you said rotisserie kitchen, I was imagining like a rotisserie chicken, but a kitchen where like there's a bar running through the kitchen and the whole room just turns. Probably cooler, to be fair. Way harder to cook in, though. And an another kind of crazy feat of engineering, um, walk-in refrigerators that used a very early form of mechanical refrigeration and not just, like, giant blocks of ice in a stone room. Um, just the, the architecture and the engineering of this building is impressive, as... Terrible as it was how the money was obtained, the feats that it took to create it are still impressive. Yeah, see, For that's sure. the thing that might piss me off more about this than anything else, is, like, you have to appreciate a lot of this. Right. You can't not, but you don't want to. Right. You get kind of mad about it. <laughs> yeah, I certainly do. So that's that's the house, 
right? That's the house. But what about the other 120-some-odd thousand acres of land, Pookie, that you ask? Well, when you have nigh unlimited resources, you hire the best of the best. And our boy Georgie hires Frederick Olmsted. Another name that you may or may not recognize, uh, this is the gentleman who designed Central Fucking Park. Uh-huh. And he he worked on some other fairly high-profile projects, I think. I couldn't name them off the top of my head, but that is definitely a name I'm familiar with. Yep. Um, now, this is where some of the people were happy to sell narrative may ring a little bit true. Um, because when Frederick sees the conditions of the grounds, he's not happy. Basically, he tells Georgie he's got to replant most of the forest. Um, maybe he can establish some farms out around the river, but uh, he's he's not super happy with the condition of the land. Um, but directly around the mansion was a different story. Uh, our, our guy Freddy here, he incorporates... 75 acres of formal gardens. Now this this list and I've gone I've I've done several lists of just the shit that's on this property. Um but this is going to sound like Bubba listing off shrimp recipes. <laughs> so so here we go. A Roman formal garden, which is somehow different from a formal garden, a bush and tulip garden, a bowling green, an outdoor tea room, a whole terrace for the European statuary that Georgie brought back to decorate his yard, and a conservatory and greenhouse. God almighty. That just... I, every time you list all of this stuff that they have at a particular, like, they have this many servants' quarters, this many living quarters, I'm just like, when would you ever find time to use all that shit? Right there, yeah. there have got to be some of these things that go unused for years at a stretch. Well, and here's the big thing: if you'll remember, way at the beginning, this is uh, this is their summer home. This is not their year-round like location. But uh, I asked you guys to table that thought. The story does have a reasonably happy ending. By doing things like building the biggest privately owned estate in the United States and not knowing how to be anything other than rich, spoiled assholes after the Great Depression, the Vanderbilts squandered their riches. By 1973, 120 Vanderbilt descendants met at Vanderbilt University for a reunion. Not a single millionaire among them. Fuck it, nerds. <laughs> so... That's going to bring me to my big question for you guys. If you had more money than God, how would you squander your fortune? So, here's what I'm going to do. It's There were a lot of options here, not going to lie. But I am going to start in St. Louis and work my way outward. I am going to buy every brewery that I possibly can. Like, literally as many as the, the anti-monopoly laws will allow me to. And then, now that I have all of these, uh, almost all of the U.S.'s beer supply under my control, I am going to spend the rest of my days living like Billy Madison and just sampling a new kind of beer every day. <laughs> <clears throat> 
I was going to say, uh, starting in St. Louis, Anheuser-Busch has got you beat by uh, a lot of breweries at this point. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, in this scenario, I have more money than God, so I can I can yeah. buy Anheuser-Busch first. Oh, so. yeah, fair. Yeah, and it comes That'll with, give you a good head start buying yeah. out Anheuser-Busch. And it comes with horses. <laughs> yeah. Also, yeah, also, I am. Uh, if I am buying Anheuser-Busch, I am no longer uh, making the horses perform, because I think that's shitty. They are no longer pulling carriages or doing public shows. They're just hanging out in a stable, being horses, doing horse stuff. Yeah, now yeah. they have. Now they are mounts for knights because if you have that much money, you're just bringing back mounted combat. Basically, yeah. No, that that is totally going to be like our weekend entertainment. Is we're going to throw like a full scale ren fair every weekend. <laughs> and we're forcing Elon Musk and. Jeffrey Bezos to fight to the death. <laughs> There's only it, one spot left, so we're going to have tryouts. <laughs> in Minecraft. Snaps the pool cue in half and throws it. <laughs> so speaking of Fight Club, what I'm going to do, I'm going to buy up the the uh, IP rights to um, pretty much every cartoon I can ever think of. And instead of creating a, a you know, Republican anti-drug propaganda piece like Cartoon All-Stars to the Rescue, I'm going to hire, like, the most demented comedy writers I can find to uh, uh, just put out a, a series of very, you know, very strange crossover events, one of which probably will be um, a celebrity meth, uh, like, celebrity death match, but darker. I almost said celebrity meth match. That, that's, that would be... That's also an idea. <laughs> Keep that one. <laughs> I'll, t I'll table that one. That could be step two. I was going to say, I... I... I, I want to see Kid Rock and Tommy Lee finally square <laughs> off. So that's just you're just hiring like Tim and Eric or like Matt and Trey, like to write cartoons for you. That would be awesome. <laughs> like the Justin Roiland and Dan Harmon from Rick yeah. and Morty. Yeah, yeah. Like, have you ever wanted to settle the edge, the age-old debate about who would win in a fight between Snoopy and Garfield? Only one way to find out. <laughs> My vote is on Snoopy because Garfield is lazy. But well, and also Snoopy's got a. Uh, World War One sop with camel, complete with machine guns. So, I think he wins that by default. Fair. Uh, I would I would buy the NFL. I would not buy a sports team. I would buy the NFL, and I would implement European soccer club rules, where the worst team every year has to go play in the CFL, and then the best CFL team can come be in the NFL. That one. Oh, that's I, more bad news I, for Jack John. I, I would ask you to uh, involve the XFL in that equation, and somehow St. Louis backends its way into getting an NFL team again when the Battlehawks would have won the Fair. goddamn XFL championship had it not been for COVID. Listen, I say, to that, I say that as a fan of the team who is the favorite to get the first pick in the NFL draft in 2023. So, <laughs> well, I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> it happens. Hey, we grew up watching the St. Louis Rams. That was great for a yeah. while, and then it really wasn't. Yeah, yeah they, I was going to say, they, they, for they, like we know how that three goes. years when we were all in like elementary school and middle school, uh, they were great. Greatest yeah. show on turf, even. Mm -hmm. Then Stan yeah. Kroenke bought the team, and they tanked for a decade. Yeah. And then they weren't. <laughs> yeah. They, for, they did the speaking of, they did speaking the of football, rich people, we would. Yeah. They did the football of equivalent people, of, like of bad things yeah. to happen to. They did the the football, uh, pro football equivalent of uh, shitting in a golf course uh, for for every day for a decade in a row. That was basically the St. Louis Rams. 
Yeah, and basically, I I describe that whole thing as like the plot of Major League. Yeah, it's like, do you think it's weird that when they finally moved into the big fancy stadium? in uh, the big fancy city that uh, the exact same people suddenly started being good at putting a team together. Yeah. Think about that. It's like, isn't it weird how we never, we never, you know, drafted anybody like Cooper cup when the Rams were in St. Louis, we drafted Brian quick and horse shit like that. Michael Brockers with a first round pick. Yeah. Now. Yeah. It's as soon as Stan Kroenke realized, okay, I'm actually going to be able to do this. Then suddenly Todd Gurley gets drafted. Yeah which should have worked a lot better than it did. This sounds awful familiar. It's almost like I've heard this exact lecture at least twice. Probably true. I mean, if you've hung around us for more than five minutes, you have definitely heard it at least twice. (laughs) Don't don't get me wrong. It is correct, but... (laughs) Look, let us be bitter for just a minute. Listen, as a Chicago sports fan, I loved... The sometimes not so friendly, but especially between our group of friends, the friendly rivalry. In fact, I got shithoused and texted Cody when uh, the Blues won the Stanley Cup. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Pookie was actually like, (laughs) he was so fucking excited for us just because we never got to see that before. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was in downtown St. Louis when that happened. It was, I mean, man, what an experience. Yeah, people just sitting on the tops of their cars. Amazing. But anyway, we could go on about this all night. Um, great topic, Pookie. Um, we're, we thank you for that. One of the more unique topics we've covered, and really just every every little detail is crazier than the last. Um, and so if you ever where, – where is this located again? This is Asheville, North Carolina. If it, um, it, which if you are a big, like, craft beer person, you should go there anyway because yes. uh, – the first time I went to Asheville, I was there for four days. I went to three different breweries at least every day. Wow, wow! Living the dream. And this is a city. This is a city. Well, I can tell you the exact number because I have Google at my fingertips. Uh, population less than a hundred thousand. Wow, it's a lot of beer. Yeah, and it's all really good. Awesome. All right, well, great topic, and uh, check that out if you're ever in Asheville. So we have one topic left, and for that, uh, we turn to Cody. Cody, to bring us home, who's your guy this week? Well, my guy is not a guy. I got a gal this week. I see. Uh, One of my – this is another topic I just kind of stumbled on randomly, but it's a wild story. We're talking about uh, Yelena Mazanik. Yelena Mazanik is one of those wonderful stories where someone of humble origins and generally a fairly ordinary person does something totally extraordinary. And we will, of course, get into more specifics on what that was here in a little bit. But to start things off, she was born in 1914 in Belarus to a peasant family. As was fairly commonplace, she left school after uh, six grades of education. Uh, She then became a waitress for the SSR Council of People's Commissars, which is a a Russian Soviet at the time official official group. So, Yelena, one of the things that kind of faded her to, to do what she did is through 
really not seeking it out, just kind of coincidence, she kept rubbing elbows with, like, Russian government officials. So that kind of put her on this path uh, that she would eventually take. She married uh, a man named Boleslav Tarletsky, who was a chauffeur for what was known as the NKVD. It was Eastern the- Europe, uh, another gold mine for incredible names. Yeah, that- absolutely. Yeah, that's a that's an all timer there. Yeah, Boleslav Tarletsky has won more hockey fights than anyone you know. <laughs> um, what Fun he actually fact. was. Sorry, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Fun Go fact: ahead. Uh, one of the one of the members of royalty in the universe uh, of D and D that we're playing is called Yaramir Jaeger. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. I saw that, reference. and it makes me laugh every time I see it. So he was a chauffeur that worked for the uh, the NKVD, which was the internal ministry for the Soviet Union. So again, she's uneducated, as is he for the most part, uh, working kind of menial jobs, but still rubbing elbows with these very important political people. Um, She gave birth to two sons early in their marriage. Uh, Unfortunately, neither of them lived very long. Uh, They were both born with health problems and and died fairly soon after. So during World War II, the Soviet Interior Ministry had uh, this practice of recruiting civilians to use in intelligence operations. Which makes some sense insofar as they are much less likely to be suspected. You know, the the Germans aren't going to have a dossier on this person. They're just a a maid or a chauffeur or whatever. So that kind of makes sense from a a strategic point of view. And has been recorded. Nazis are dumb. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm going to ask you to table that thought big time. Yeah. Oh boy! Um, <laughs> yeah. There's a there's a couple pretty good nuggets of of Nazi stupidity in this story. Um, although of course there was some risk to this practice as well because yeah these people aren't in anybody's system as intelligence workers. That's because they're not they're not trained to be they're not trained in espionage. They basically just would snatch these people up and if they agreed to do whatever uh, assignment they had, they would tell them how to do this specific thing, and hopefully everything goes okay. Sometimes it did, sometimes it did not. Now, just kind of up front, we've discussed this on the podcast a little bit before, but I just to get it out of the way again, bear in mind that for most of you, most of what you think you know about the Soviet Union or any communist government is probably mostly wrong. If you're just basing it on what you learned in uh, a history class somewhere in America, because the U.S. still has this hardcore communist phobia and everything is twisted to make them look like the worst monsters imaginable. Well, as a chat room full of declared Marxists uh, in Minecraft, um, (laughs) I think we can all agree with you on that. Yeah. Yeah, I knew you guys would, but just getting it out of the way. But one thing that was true... Uh, One thing, part of their reputation that did wind up being correct is they were fucking ruthless when it came to warfare, especially their intelligence agencies. This is before what we know as the KGB uh, was officially a thing. But still, these people right up there with our very own beloved CIA in terms of being willing to do whatever the fuck it took to get whatever done that they wanted to. 
Now, so, the CIA, the CIA hasn't done sh anything shady in about 25 years. Now, the fact that declassification, the timeline on declassification is 25 years, I'm sure has nothing to do with that. <laughs> See, I, I love that people will try and be like, well, the CIA is not doing like shady shit anymore. You know, it's been so long since we've heard about them doing anything shady. Meanwhile, literally everything that has ever been declassified about the CIA is something god awful. <laughs> Like and, that, uh, I, I'm uh, sorry, folks, but that's just what they do. They commit atrocities. That is pretty much their entire job. And let me just say, perhaps more on that in future Here's a Guy episodes. Just FYI. Almost certainly, yes. Some things, so, some things on the list. Eventually, uh, Yelena was recruited by the NKVD for intelligence work. She was fairly, she was a fairly obvious target for them. She already had connections to the organization, but she wasn't in any official way affiliated with the government at all. Um, she actually had a fairly good knack for this, it turned out. She first uh, infiltrated a German military post as a waitress. Uh, but in 1943, the NKVD decided that they had bigger plans for her, and they pulled her from that assignment. And they sent her to work as a maid in the mansion of notorious Nazi shitbag Wilhelm Cube. I don't know if any of you are familiar with that name because I, I, I he's think not... I would remember that one. Yeah, he's it's not... a name that it rings a bell. Uh, but I wonder if it's maybe somebody in in a like World War Two movie I've seen like was based on, or like World War Two fiction that I've seen was maybe they were based on him. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's that's very possible. Cube is not one of the real heavy hitters that we talk about in Nazi dumb, uh, along with like the Herman Goring's and Martin Bormans right. and Mengele's right. and all those other psycho uh, psychopaths. But more that's a, not more because a, more of a bog that, standard psychopath as far as Nazis yeah. go. That's not because he was any better than any of them. See, Cube right. was, he was one of the OG Nazis. Like, he got in on the ground floor when it was still a small movement, and he was a true believer in the cause. He wasn't in it for power or even just to avoid getting killed like some of these other Nazis say they were. He was all fucking in. He was known to refer to Jews as a plague upon mankind. Uh, this guy was motivated by pure hatred. Uh, just one of the absolute worst of the worst. After the German invasion of the Soviet Union, he was given a post uh, in Belarus and oversaw not only the Nazification in general of that area, but also the extermination of a shitload of Russian Jews. Bad, bad man. Yeah, bad guy. So the Soviet government had this guy on their hit list for a while. Pretty much as soon as he took up his post in Belarus, the Soviets are like, all right, how can we kill this guy? And in fact, they had tried to several times before. This guy, he he had a little he had a little roadrunner in him. He had nine lives. He managed to dodge a couple of these. Um, they had blown up a theater he was supposed to be in about five minutes uh, after he'd left. Uh, they killed seventy German soldiers with that, but uh, Wilhelm managed to uh, sneak out of there before anything happened. They also attacked a banquet for German officers. Killing 36 Nazi officials, which, good job. Thumbs yeah. up. Way to go. But again, this guy wasn't there. 
So initially, the Soviet partisan unit uh, tasked with planning this new assassination attempt, um, when they brought Yelena in, after she started working as a maid, they, they started bringing her in on this plot, and initially they wanted to poison him. But Yelena refused to do that because there were children in the house who might have accidentally eaten the poisoned food. And she didn't want any more collateral damage than was necessary. So they settled instead on using a bomb. The most cartoonish way they could possibly do it. Was it was it round and black with a little fuse? You know, I fucking hope so. It doesn't say <laughs> or anywhere. It, or was it just an alarm clock duct taped to a bundle of TNT? Because that's like... <laughs> The other, the other cartoon bomb. Yes. <laughs> you know what? Just based on the functionality, I think Pookie might be a little bit closer. Also, I don't know that we have talked about this on the podcast, but it's been talked about elsewhere. Those cartoon bombs that are just like a bowling ball without holes and a fuse attached. Yeah. Where did that come from? No yeah, bomb has ever looked like that. Could be an interesting case study. Um, yeah, I, I'm sure it's a thing, right? I mean, it's, like, one would assume maybe based on cannonballs? I don't know. But... I honestly don't know. Yeah, that's fucking bizarre. But, we could debate realism in cartoons all evening, and trust me, we would all love to. But, we've got some Nazis to kill. So, after they decided they're going to use this bomb, the plan goes into motion. On the night of September 21st, 1943... Yelena set the bomb to go off in 24 hours. And here's how how gutsy this was. She had to set the bomb beforehand, like an entire day beforehand. So this bomb is just sitting in her house live for the entire day before they're set to use it. And Soviet bombs at the time, their time bombs especially... Not always super reliable, like they generally get close, but sometimes it went off an hour or two early. So she's just sitting there with this live bomb that might blow up at any fucking minute if something goes wrong in her house for a whole night. But that's uh, she had better luck than that. She set it to go off, uh, like I said, in 24 hours that evening at 6.30 a.m. the next morning. She brought the bomb with her to the mansion. And she had it hidden under a handkerchief. Now, at first, the Nazi guards tried to see what was under the handkerchief. They asked her about it. What is it? But she managed to dodge this by telling them it contained a gift for Cube's wife. And we don't want to spoil the surprise. No one else is allowed to see this. But uh, but Miss Anita, so you just keep your grubby little paws off. And the stupid fucks just let her in. <laughs> Didn't try any further to see what it was just took her word for it and went in because nazis, once again because nazis are idiots yes nazis are stupid yeah yeah um so she managed to by all rights absolutely should have been caught but uh managed to outwit the witless and get past the nazis at the front gate after everyone else had left the house yelena uh planted the bomb between the mattress and springs of Cube's bed in the master bedroom. And at 1.20 a.m. the next morning, kaboom, the bomb goes off and Wilhelm Cube, the scourge of Belarus, was completely obliterated, leaving behind only a literal and figurative stain on the fabric of European history. 
Yelena. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Toodaloo, that's a, shitbag. That, that's a fucking, yeah, that's a, that's a fist pump. That really, for sure. that is some inglorious bastards shit. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I love the way this played out. It's so, such a fun story. Um, Yelena was never caught. But as retaliation, the Nazis, as they were wont to do, um, decided we're going to take this out on everybody. And they made over 1,000 people in Minsk dig their own mass grave and then executed them all. Jesus. And these, these were just random people. None of them were even expected of uh, or suspected of doing anything wrong as far as I know. They just did it to do it. Um, but still, Yelena was not apprehended on October 12th. Uh, she and her fellow conspirators who helped her plan this whole thing were flown out of Belarus to Moscow where it was safe. Now, here's what we talk about with the NKVD as far as ruthlessness and uh, how they're comparable to the CIA. Before you give them too big of a hand, just let it be known that eventually she found out that after she killed him, they had planned to just kill her and identify a different woman as the assassin to throw them off. Um... But they decided not to for for some reasons that were never specified. They that that was nice. The of them, people, yeah. yeah, the people that put her up to this and had her risk her own life decided not to assassinate her. Um, and in 1943, she and the rest of the conspirators were recognized as official heroes of the Soviet government. So they finally got the rec uh, recognition that they deserve. Um, a lot of other Soviet partisan groups actually claimed responsibility for this, uh, partially just. For clout and partially because that was kind of a common practice to confuse the Nazis. Because, again, Nazis are confused if you hold up something shiny in front of them. And if you go around saying, no, I'm Spartacus, I'm Spartacus, I'm the one who blew this guy up. No, I did it. No, I did it. They're not going to know who to believe because they're not nearly smart enough to gather intelligence and make that determination on their own. They're just not. After the war. Mazanik, uh, after her husband passed, did not remarry. In 1946, she officially joined the Communist Party and graduated from the Minsk Pedalo uh, Pedagogical Institute in 1952. She worked for the rest of her career as the deputy director of the main library of the Academy of Sciences in Belarus. She died very old on April 7th, 1996 in wow. Minsk, in Belarus. So... We have the rare case of someone actually risking their neck, getting the job done, and living to tell the tale for a long time. Mm -hmm. Absolutely one of my favorite ends to any Nazi story that we've covered on this podcast so far. So that brings me to my big question for you guys. And I, I didn't send you the big question beforehand because it wouldn't have made sense uh, until you'd heard how this was done. But I want you to put yourself in Yelena's shoes. You are set to infiltrate um, a Nazi. It can be either like a, a house like this was, or it can be a military installment. You have to infiltrate some group of Nazis. What's your cover? What do you think you can you can get away with telling the Nazis you're there for? So mine will... So, go ahead, Pookie. So I I am... I'm 6'2". I'm I'm bright white, uh, and if I shave my beard, which is not a thing that will really ever happen, but if I were to, I'm I'm blonde, and I have bright ass blue eyes. In Nazi Germany, I can do whatever the fuck I want. That's pretty true. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, I would. That's just that's just my cover. Is yeah. is just just a, a, from from here up the German guy. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Cody and I would face the problem of uh, being both very French looking. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna need a partner for this. Um, I think we could make some some work. I think we could make some inroads by posing as pro wrestlers. And I really hope I can get Jack John on board with this. Because um, then, you know, we could possibly infiltrate private parties. We could sneak weapons in and nobody would think a thing of it. You know, we could, you know, we could commit random acts of violence and pretend we were just warming up. All leading up to some big grand finale. Um, ideally, uh, like Stone Cold Steve Austin, I bring in a milk truck um, and uh, douse all the Nazis um, and uh, then uh, shoot them also. So drink a beer. <laughs> drink another beer. <laughs> I mean, this is Germany. That's just what people did. Right. Um, so for my uh, for my uh, plot here, Alex, I'm glad you brought up that we were French looking. I'm going to turn this to my advantage. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do kind of like Yelena did, and it's going to be one of these rich Nazi assholes that's got a big fancy house. And I'm going to pass myself off as a renowned French pastry chef. Uh-huh. And what I'm going to do when I get there is on the eve of one of their big Nazi get-togethers, I'm going to make my world-famous uh, volcano cake. The difference is <laughs> this cake is going to be loaded with TNT, and when they light the candles, it's actually going to blow up. <laughs> That's my plot. My, f- my favorite part about that plot is it really lends another end-of-episode explosion. It really <laughs> does. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. Um, all right. Well, uh, yeah, good answers, everybody. And, uh, yeah, you're, you're right. That is a very wonderful story and, uh, a nice little bow on the end of this episode of here's a guy. Um, so thank you all for being here and thank you Pookie once again for joining us. Uh, we, we had a blast just like we did last time, except this time it's uh, a blast that other people will get to enjoy as well. So, um, let's wrap this up as we always do. Let's go around the horn and hawk our shit. Um, Pookie, as our guest, we'll start with you. Hello, my name is Pookasaurus Rex. You can find me on the Twitter, at Pookie Rex. You can find me on Twitch, www.twitch.tv slash Pookasaurus Rex. That should be coming back soon. Uh, we mentioned it earlier a little bit. Uh, I talked about it at length on the Belchcast, which is another place you can find me. Yep. Had a little bit of a mental health issue, took some steps back from some projects, so I could focus on others. But the uh, Twitch stream should be coming back soon. You can find me DMing with these knuckleheads, uh, along with Jack John, your regular Here's a Guy co-host on twitch.tv slash here's an adventure. Um, other than that, uh, keep a lookout for many of the other projects I have in mind. Um, I'm really excited about all of them. Um, I've got possibly some books coming out i've got some adventures that i've been working on i've got a lot of shit uh i'm spinning a lot of plates at the moment uh so we'll see which leg gives out first uh (laughs) but keep a lookout for that stuff all righty well thank you very much for that cody how about you um you can find me over on twitter as mentioned earlier i am at son of gray before 2069 um You can also find me weekly here on Here's a Guy, barring uh, any embarrassing audio disasters, uh, pretty much every week on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. 
Uh, you can also, as Pookie just told you, uh, catch me as often as we possibly can over on uh, the Here's an Adventure Twitch channel, playing some really fun D&D with Pookie, Alex, Jack John, and Pookie's partner, Kelsey. Um, and that's pretty much it for me. All right. Well, you can wow. find... Sorry to interrupt. I really hope Kelsey doesn't listen this far in because I forgot to mention she's playing with us too. <laughs> I, you're already in trouble. Like you got her in trouble. You're in trouble from the first segment still. So that's yeah, that's fair. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Turpin for Prez. That's Turpin, the number four P R E Z. Uh, our podcast has an account as well. Here's a guy pod. Follow that. A uh, good way to get um, up to date. You know, I say up-to-date updates is not a thing anybody says, but you know what I'm getting at. You can get updates on uh, what's going on and, and see when the episodes drop live. Um, also, we have a Gmail account. Here's a mailbox at gmail.com. Send us whatever feedback we want, uh, you want. Like it enough, we will uh, read it on the show. And I will uh, also just reemphasize what the other two have said about uh, twitch.tv slash here's an adventure. Um, an incredibly exciting project we're working on that has already been a blast and is only going to get better from here on out. So... Um, we'll wrap this up Pookie again thank you so much for coming back on the show we will have you back um, but for now we'll end the show as we always do Cody do you have a tagline I do alright well let's get to it thank you everybody for being here we hope to have you here again with us next week and Cody hit us with that tagline you may have heard the saying don't shit where you eat but folks also remember don't shit where you golf <laughs> Good night, daddies <laughs>